there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, welcome to July. Welcome to Hi-Fi Radio. Welcome to a show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host, uh, here to help you uh, with a whole plethora of financial topics, uh, wills, financial plans, stocks, marijuana stocks, tech stocks, bonds, interest rates, you name it. Jack and I cover it off on the show. And of course, we always like to weave in some music because music matters. Um, brought in my will and estate planning lawyer, uh, Jennifer Lynch, as she is currently in the process of drafting. That's what they do. They draft wills. Uh, yes, it's time for a update. And uh, I do not want to be the cobbler with children without shoes. So uh, I speak and uh, walk uh, the truth. And we need wills. The wills are very, very important. Uh, Aretha Franklin uh, recently passed away in August, as a matter of fact, uh, I guess of last year, at the age of 76. 18 Grammy Awards, 100 singles on Billboard. Uh, yes, Millennials, Billboard. It's an old chart that used to post songs that they were played on the radio. <sighs> yep. Anyways, uh, Aretha passed away with a monster estate, $80 million. And uh, the question is, uh, is, a, is there and was there a valid will? Uh Fortunately, as uh, Jennifer was uh, drafting my will, she uh, did some homework on Aretha's uh, situation as well. So uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show, Jennifer Lynch of Robbins Appleby. Uh, you lawyer type you. It's a real pleasure to hang with you on the show. Thanks, Wolfgang. So let's, let's talk first and foremost about uh, Aretha. Uh, Aretha. I always have trouble with that name. Aretha Franklin. Um, what's the status of her estate? Well, it's interesting. It was originally thought when she died that she had died without a will. And because she has such a tremendous fortune, $80 million when she died, it just caused absolute chaos. Now it's recently came to light that she did have a will or they at least had found something that was um, believed to be her last will, which they actually found in her couch. It was in a lockbox between her couch cushions. Not the best place to keep your valuable documents, but... It's alleged that this is what she did. In a lockbox between the cushions That's of her right. couch. Yeah, That's not right. not smart. No, not smart. And I guess, you know, perhaps her thinking, assuming it's a, it is in fact a real will and her valid last will, her thinking was probably that it was a good place that nobody would find it. It'd be secure and confidential. But, of course, the problem is that nobody found it when she died. Right. And again, so the moral of the story, and there's many on this one here, but first and foremost, let your executor know where your documents and your wherewithals are. Exactly. Um, your executor, preferably your lawyer um, as well. and Your, most your, your lawyers, executor and your lawyer. Exactly. And most lawyers will hold on to to your will for you and hold it in safekeeping to avoid this very problem. And so again, there is only one original will. That's right. And so your recommendation is to have your lawyer in Ontario, if you're a resident here, and of course this show is international, my good friend, so we're speaking to you in Ontario specifically on this topic, but Jack and I can help you, of course, if you're around the world. We help many people overseas. I digress. Um, so in Ontario, you suggest let the lawyer hang on to it. If your lawyer is getting, shall I say, longer in the tooth, uh, you know, and people do pass away, lawyers pass away too. So hopefully you have a will, right, Jennifer? That's right. Not a girl. Uh, if you pass away, uh, how do I access or how would my executor access that will? Well, 
generally a firm would continue, the law firm of the lawyer would continue to hold on to that will. And mm-hmm. if that's not the case, then the clients would be notified and, and they can certainly come pick up their will or as a last resort, the law society will hold on to it. Yeah, so if a law firm decides to close its doors for business, if it was, a, if it was a one shingle shop and the, the door shut down, the law society then becomes responsible yes, for that that's document. Right. And, and you, you keep it in a fire safe Exactly. Type vault exactly. within the firm. Do you charge for that on a monthly basis? No, no, I, no, no, no fee, we don't. Fee, fee well, that's no, nice. It's, it's all part of the service. Well, that, that's good. That's good. So, so um, the will that they found for Aretha uh, in her couch, um, was it actually drafted by a lawyer or was it, it was drafted actually, by herself at a kitchen table or how did they, uh, how was it drafted and uh, how did they come across it? That's a good question. So it, I, I'm not sure exactly how they came across it, but it is, it was drafted by her. It's all in her own handwriting. So okay. it's what we call a holographic will in Ontario that is valid um, and and basically, she took it upon herself to write her own will or to make uh, some some changes to uh, a series of wills that I think she made. Sure. I believe they found more than one. And considering the complexity of her estate, which uh, $80 million, and uh, I'm sure that she has some uh, some rights, obviously, to her music and the likes, um, you know, drafting a holographic will, I would assume that there's a, a number of holes that she, she may have missed when, when drafting this for herself. I think inevitably that's a safe assumption to say that she missed a, a lot of opportunities to do some more complex tax planning and save her state a lot of money. She definitely missed the opportunity to save for just generally her privacy. I mean, had she have seen a lawyer, a lawyer would have no doubt recommended a trust that she put a lot of her assets in a trust. And the the benefit of that is that a trust doesn't need to be probated when you die. It, It continues on. So it's unlike a will, which does need to be probated in some cases and would be a public document, a mm-hmm. trust isn't. So she would not have the public scrutiny that's going on right now. Newspapers wouldn't be able to write about what's in her estate or who was getting what. Right. And and probate typically is about one and a half percent. So on an $80 million estate, and it's not in Ontario, but assuming that it was, and this was in your piece that you wrote uh, when she passed away, um, that's almost one point. $2 million. So it's a significant it's, amount. Uh, we see a lot of clients um, planning around probate and they, I think they do a lot of unnecessary planning to save the one and a half percent fee. But uh, for, for estates of this value, it's certainly um, you know worth that, that time and planning and to make sure the professional uh, drafts your will for you. You, you know what amazes me uh, when, I, when I did some homework on uh, people who died uh, intestate without a will, uh, that Abraham Lincoln, who was in fact a lawyer, uh, died into state of all people, uh, James Brown, I get Jimi Hendrix, I get, uh, and we're going to talk about just that the Jimi Hendrix story, uh, a man who passed away f- uh, well before his time uh, with a lot of money. And well, at the age of what, 27, 28, who really thinks about having a will? Even the rock stars need to do that. We're going to talk about that case because it gets very, very interesting. We have Jennifer Lynch in studio. Uh, she's currently working on my will. Uh, if she's good enough for me, she may be good enough for you too. If you need a will draft, in fact, you do need a will. Everyone needs one. If you don't have a will, um, please uh, contact a lawyer who specializes in wills. Uh, my friend Jennifer is one such person. Obviously, there's many lawyers who are quite capable of it. Uh, but again, I'm, belie- I'm a big believer in using a specialist. And that's all Jennifer does is writes wills. Exciting stuff. Uh, more of it on Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto on the Global News Radio Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Ah, 
the grandfather of funk, James Brown. Uh, here's a gentleman, uh, a musical icon, uh, leaving an estate of over a hundred million, and that's U.S. dollars, uh, in 2006. Uh, and he created a will, and his will said he wants to create two trusts. And we got Jennifer Lynch in the studio. She is a lawyer, uh, very familiar with drafting wills and putting trusts inside those wills to give some extra attention to certain assets, perhaps, or certain people, perhaps. It's all part of writing a will. It's very important questions to ask in terms of trusts and how they can fit into your will. But James Brown decided to create two trusts, one for the education of his grandchildren, sounds nice to me, and the second for the disadvantaged use of South Carolina and Georgia. That sounds nice to me, too. However, he said in his will, he did not mistakenly leave anyone out, Jennifer. And despite this, his wife and children contested the will in 2009 and were awarded $50 million. That makes sense, doesn't it, Jennifer, to you? All right. So, so he tried to write his or he omitted his dependents. He omitted his wife. Now, maybe, maybe she was a, in the process of getting a divorce. I don't think it matters. No, it doesn't matter. And children. So, Jennifer, my first question to you is, um, you're, I decided I want to get my will written in a bit of a rage. I got into a fight with my wife. My kids are driving me nuts. And I said, that's it. It's all going to jack, with the exception of the record collection, by the way. We'll talk about that record collection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Jack's getting my entire record collection before my wife passed away. Jennifer, that's got to be changed. She's working on my will, by the way, folks. Um, so, Jennifer, let's talk about that. Omitting your uh, spouse in your will and or omitting your children in your will. Can you do that? Yes, is, is I guess, my short answer. You oh, can do that. that that's but a surprise answer. It, it is. See? So, in Ontario, we have uh, what's called equalization. So, when you die, a surviving spouse can choose to either take uh, take the the spouse's estate who's died under the will, if they are included under the will, or they can choose to do what's called an equalization claim. And essentially what happens with that is the uh, a calculation is made and the spouse who died, the the net family property of that spouse is calculated when they came into the marriage and their net family property is calculated at the date they die. Mm -hmm. And the surviving spouse can choose to take essentially half of the difference between those two figures. And net family property is kind of a, a little bit of a complicated calculation, but essentially you're looking in looking at what the person had when they got married and what they had when they died. And the spouse can choose to take um, a, an equalization of one half of that amount. And usually they're going to choose to do that if they're not provided for under the uh, under the person's will, or if the person died without a will and the scheme of how they otherwise would inherit ultimately results in them getting less than they would if they get this election. Um, so there's also tax incentives too, well, for the way you, you know set up your structure. So typically spouses own assets joint with rights of survivorship, mm -hmm. houses, uh, securities, and, and the likes. And also in terms of uh, registered accounts, uh, there's survivorship benefits for spouses. So those types of things. And we've seen common mistakes where a spouse doesn't actually have their other spouse, a husband doesn't have a wife as the beneficiary of an RSP. And if that's the case and it goes to the estate, there'd be significant tax consequences. That entire amount would actually be realized as income in the year of death. But okay, you're, you're, you're thinking in, in a second derivative fashion as you always do, Jack, and I appreciate that. I'm getting down to the basics of creating a will. And I believe that you, for the most part, should not try to write your spouse out of a will, your current spouse. And, and more importantly, uh, minor children, good luck. Do not 
try to write out. A, but again, Jennifer, please, you're the lawyer, not I. I'm just, uh, I just know a little bit to be dangerous uh, on this topic. And that's, again, why I, I always defer to a lawyer. Uh, if I have a minor child, I think it'd be an exercise in futility to write that child out unless there's a very, very uh, extenuating circumstances, yeah, especially, so when, they're I mean, especially when they're dependents. Especially when they're dependents. Once they're under, adult children and they're on their own, there may be different. D- d- correct. Cases. So to speak to that point. Um, when is a? How long is a dependent dependent? In other words, yeah, I know the millennials are hanging out to age thirty in the basements, but they're not dependent at that point, or maybe they are. So speak to that dependency and speak to um, uh, the minimum uh, Ontario family law, because ultimately the, the the crafting of a will must dovetail into the family law legislation first and foremost in this province. And is that not true, Jennifer? It, it does. So it has to be mindful of some of these basic rights. And and I guess to your point, I mean, there's that, that kid who's living in the basement when they're 40 years old may feel like a dependent, <laughs> and their parents may feel like that person is a dependent, but they might not legally qualify as a dependent. So generally when people write their wills and they have children, most people do leave all of their assets to their spouse. So if there is a surviving spouse, there's no problem there. The spouse inherits the assets and and it's you know generally assumed that that surviving spouse is gonna take care of those children because they are a legal guardian of those children. The problem happens when there's no surviving spouse, but there are minor children. So in that case, yes, you do generally have a responsibility to take care of your minor children financially and your will. You couldn't say decide to just leave them without anything and leave all your money to... Right. That makes perfect sense. So so if you're married, you don't have to leave your kids anything. You just leave it to your mm-hmm. spouse. Uh, I go back to now. Uh, I, I, I contact Jennifer. I'm in a fit of rage. My wife and I got into a big fight because I didn't put the cap back on the toothpaste and I want to change my wish. You're getting written out of my will. Entire. Give it all to my kids. Can I pull that move? You can, but it, will it stick? Well, you, if she contests again, that's if she if she contests. So again, the spouse has the option of doing that. Dependent the sorry the equalization claim that I said. Okay, so right, it, it's it's possible in that situation that you can, but you're inviting, you know, you're inviting some kind of litigation down the road. But Possibly. other times. Other times it's fine. And and very often in a second marriage situation, this is what people decide to do. If they talk to their spouse and their spouse is okay with it, maybe the the spouse has assets of her own or his own and they don't need the the uh, the assets from that estate, then they're more than happy to say, have their that person make a will leave their assets to their kids, and that person has their own money, and that's a clean way of doing it. I want to speak to that uh, right after break. I want to speak to second marriages. I want to speak to um, matrimonial home, uh, and I want to speak to uh, the beneficiaries, i.e. children, uh, of second marriages. Because uh, I've, I've, I've seen situations, I've been in situations uh, or involved with situations where um, – beneficiaries don't receive what they expected to receive through a second marriage uh, complexity. So uh, more with Jennifer Lynch, uh, who is with Robbins Appleby. Uh, She is crafting my will for my family, and uh, she is a very good crafter of wills. It's a very important document that every Canadian needs to have, um, and it's something you do not want to do on your own with one of those $30 kits, although I haven't seen those kits in a while. and Hopefully they've been taken off the shelf. This is Hi-Fi Radio on Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
Yep, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, he passed away uh, way too young, of course, and uh, with his career being what it was, uh, who would honestly think of having a will? He doesn't need a will. Uh, $80 million, he was just in his 20s, unbelievable. Uh, so here was his situation, no will by Jimi Hendrix, and this pitted his half-brother against his adopted sister for control of the estate. Uh, initially, uh, an attorney had control over Hendrix's estate until 1995 when his father gained the rights to his son's music in a large part of the estate. When the father passed away, uh, Jimmy's father left most of the estate to his daughter and Jimmy's adopted sister. Uh, Jimmy's half-brother was not written into Jimmy's father's will, and as a result, Jimmy's half-brother contested, suggesting that uh, Janine had manipulated her father into excluding him from the will. In the end, the Superior Court in America upheld Jimmy's father's will, and his half-brother remained excluded. Uh, so that will stuck. Um, that's a powerful That's a powerful outcome, I think, considering uh, the complexity to it. It is. Yeah. So uh, ironclad wills, uh, Jennifer, um, it, it's it, as the world gets more complex and, and and as these nuances start to pop up uh you can see potholes in, in, in almost every single will. To, to create a will that is um, bulletproof is very, very difficult uh, to do. I just discovered an issue I'm going to have in my will uh, having to do with a trust that was in my mother's estate, uh, whereby uh, two potential trustees don't get along anymore, and uh, we are going to have trouble dealing with that. So we have to get a little bit creative. Uh, I go back to then uh, a couple of things. Let's get into second marriages. Um Many second marriages uh, begin with a marriage contract. Uh, and often, I guess, as you write a marriage contract, you'd probably do your will at the same time. So those two documents work together. Do you get involved in marriage contracts? I generally don't. A lot of uh, wills and estate practitioners might, but I choose to to leave them more up to the experts, the family law experts who draft them every day. Uh, what's your overall opinion uh, of the um, validity validity of a uh, uh, a marriage contract. How long will it hold water and does it over time uh, turn into a bit of a sif where it loses its power due to logging dates with your new spouse? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I, th- I think for this one, I, I'm not really sure because it's not my main area of practice. But I mean, generally, when we're writing a will and there is a marriage contract, it is something we, we definitely have to look at. You and do. we definitely have to incorporate what's in that marriage contract in that will because it's a legally binding agreement that these two parties have decided upon. They would have had to get independent legal advice before they signed it. Um, so it needs to be reflected in, in their estate plan. So a friend of mine um, got a marriage contract drafted and uh, we were, of course, having a few drinks and having a few laughs over getting a marriage contract drafted. And they said, oh my God, this this contract is so detailed. The document has tabs in it. Oh, we broke out of it having tabs in it. Yep, refer to Appendix X for the outcome to that uh, situation. Uh, in terms of getting a will um, drafted, Jennifer, um, uh, costs, time horizon, uh, start to finish, and how does the process work? Well, I guess I'll give you I'll give you a very lawyerly answer to that one, and and that would be it depends. Sure. So it it all depends on the person and what they want done, and really how quickly they want to proceed. Some people, you know, might not really think about doing this, and then they're going on vacation, and they decide, you know what, I really want to get something in place before I I go on vacation. In that case, you move really quickly, and the process, you know, can be as short as a few weeks from the time somebody might come into my office to the time they sign their will. 
Other people, it can be, you know, years between the time that they come in and the time that they eventually sign their will. And there can be a lot of amendments along the way and a lot of rethinking. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say I think it's really important that uh, you mentioned right off the top of the show with Jennifer that uh, the first draft of your will is just that it's a draft, right? You haven't signed it. You want to review it. You want to make sure that everything that is in that will is your wishes upon your death because you can't obviously change it at that point, and you want to make sure the records go where they're supposed to go, right? Well, well, well the odd one is the odd one, <laughs> the odd one is just that. So my wife and I have have a young family. Uh, uh, our eldest is seventeen. Our youngest is eleven. And so you know the the low probable situation of my wife and I both passing away at the same time is is a very daunting discussion to have and uh well jack you're the man in the driver's seat on that one but prior to yes the records stay with kathleen jack wants my vinyl collection somebody got written there you got my vinyl collect i have a gorgeous vinyl collect about 600 uh, piece of vinyl and it's they're precious to me uh so uh, well they're gonna stay in my house until at least uh well kathleen and i both pass away then jack comes right from my house and gets that but uh well a lot of faith in you jack on this one pal uh yeah jennifer lynch uh, who's with uh, robin's appleby uh, she specializes in drafting wills. Uh, I believe in using specialists. Uh, Jennifer, on, on a final question to you, real estate. Is, is there lawyers who specialize just in real estate transactions and that's it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that type of person. Again, if I were to buy a, another house or a condo, I would use a person just like that. Cause same thing. A lot of documents to go through. They need to. You need to know what to look for. Uh, and that's what experts do. What's your line with, with, with Albert Einstein, Jack? 95% of Einstein's time was trying to figure out the problem. 5% for yeah, the solution. If you're, if you're asked a question to solve a problem, the 95% of your time should be figuring out what the problem is, defining the problem, the last 5% should be finding the solution because a lot of the times you can come up with a simple solution to the problem. Yeah, well, that's all part of the discovery process that Jack and I go through with clients and that's obviously what Jennifer would do as well. Uh, thank you very kindly, Jennifer, for your valuable time today. Uh, you can send the bill to Jack. Uh, <laughs> coming up next, we're going to have uh, Mr. McEwen on, formerly of Gold Corp, a, a very philanthropic Canadian. Uh, a real pleasure to have him in our studio on Hi-Fi Radio. More of it right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You know that Canadian song? Well, in studio we have Mr. Rob McEwen. Uh, Rob, you have a heart of gold. Uh, certainly through your mining efforts, uh, you have given north of $60 million, and I think that number is low, uh, north of $60 million to charity. Uh, Rob McEwen, you have the Order of Canada. You're in the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame, Outstanding Achievement Award, Philanthropy by Canadian Museum Association, and the list goes on. And as such, I'm very, very thrilled and pleased and uh, privileged to have you in the studio on Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Jack Harlow, of course, is in for the cause. Um, Now, we just had Jennifer Lynch in the studio, Rob. You obviously have a lot of net worth. We don't want to happen to you what happened to uh, Aretha Franklin. So I want to first and foremost make sure, do you have a will and is it current? Yes. Good man. Okay, we're covered. That's covered off. Uh, so, Rob, uh, I haven't put you in it yet. But <laughs> do, you, do you like records? You like music, right? Yes. Please, Jack managed to get his my record collection written into my will, going all to him if I pass away. Not the case. <laughs> Not the case, Jack. <laughs> you believe that? Oh goodness gracious! Um, so, Rob, uh, gold woke up this year, uh, as did Bitcoin. Um, 
I used to be a gold bull. I certainly was quite bullish on gold when I was 250 and 300 bucks an ounce. I kid you not. Um, I, be, I became quite tainted in gold as a Canadian investor. Uh, as gold rallied, so, the, so did the Canadian dollar. And the likes of Barrick and Newmont Mining didn't do a whole lot. But you were out there on the radio back in the day uh, talking about this uh, company up in Timmins. I guess they're all in Timmins. And uh, just rocking and rolling with this Gold Corp uh, entity. And, uh, well, you've had an amazing career. Um, so certainly you know a lot about gold. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. My first question to you uh, is the GLD uh, versus owning a gold mining share. Is the GLD, because it's the most liquid means of getting access to the movement in gold prices. And I have been told, and I've done some research on it, that the GLD is fully backed by ounces of gold. If you redeem your certificate, they will, in turn, will give you gold uh, for it. Uh, is that the case in, in, in your belief, uh, that the GLD is fully backed by gold, or do you think otherwise? I hope it is. It's a, a convenient way for people to buy gold, get exposure to gold. Um, I've never looked at it that closely because I've owned, I own bullion myself, just the physical. And I want to be assured that it is there. Where do you keep your physical? In a vault. In a vault. I knew a fellow who kept some physical silver up in Minden in the basement, cottage burnt, like to the ground. He said, okay, guys, stop cleaning up the mess because we got a bunch of silver underneath this place. So we got to first get the rubble off so we can replace the silver. I want to ask you a question. Um, uh, the Twin Towers came down. Underneath the Twin Towers were many ounces of gold. Did they ever recover that gold, Rob? There's stories circulating that there were armored trucks moving in and out of the debris, um, taking it out. Um, I don't know where it went. I don't know if it's ever been accounted for. Because, hmm. of course, here in Canada, we all became familiar with the Sprott uh, product, and there were a few products that were launched saying that every ounce of gold uh, that you buy in terms of certificate form, we will keep it in Ottawa, in the Mint. Yes. Uh, and so uh, that attracted a lot of attention. Uh, but gold went by the way of the dodo bird in the last 10 years. It's been very, very quiet. And then along comes this Bitcoin, and people, again, concerned about central banks. And the story came back to life, but gold wasn't the front and center picture it was now this nebulous zero and one algorithm and with with millennials mining but with computers not picks and axes so incredible story has just taken place um so i want you to speak to that because gold is sort of a well it is it is a store of value but it's it's not completely stable but it's certainly a lot more stable than bitcoin when you have a bar of gold sitting in your basement or in a vault it's hard for someone to take it from you unless they actually break into your house or mm -hmm. into the vault. In the case of crypto, there's always been the concern, does someone take it out of your electronic wallet? Um, crypto, about five years ago, Forbes, um, I did an interview with them and they asked about crypto and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, in prisoner of war camps and other areas, there've been all sorts of instruments of currency cigarettes, mm -hmm. chicken bones in prisoner of war camp. Yep. Fillings. Fillings. Uh, seashells in the South Pacific. W wedding bands. So you look at that and you say, well, as long as ha someone has confidence it has value, they'll do it. Now, Bitcoin at the time was 100 to $120, and I, <laughs> well, it could get bigger, but I, I never had any, never imagined it would grow to the, the value it has grown. Um, but then when you start looking at it, it was unregulated. It allowed you to move money without telling anybody about it, yep. any record. Mm -hmm. 
and that has a certain appeal in a in a world where governments are trying to restrict the movement of capital. So, so let me speak to um, the, the government's um, restriction on gold ownership throughout history, because uh, American history is very colorful around that. Can you please speak to that, uh, Rob McKeown? They like to confiscate gold every once in a while. Um, Especially when their currency is, is tied to it, too, and then they're running significant deficits and it typically happens in depression or wartime. Because this takes us into this whole Facebook story of Libra, and that's fascinating. It really me. is. It is. Um, Libra, again, is centralized, not decentralized. Is gold decentralized in your opinion? It's a. It's been a monetary metal used by central banks for a long for time. Biblical terms. It's, I've always uh, hung my hat on that statement. Yeah, so um, it's much more regulated it, than the digital currencies that are coming out. Gold is more regulated. Much more regulated. Much more regulated than digital currency. That's yeah, and the fact is too, right? It's, you talk about the stability and price stability and that lack thereof of some of these cryptocurrencies. You know that when you buy a, an ounce of gold, the properties of that gold don't change over time. They don't. You store it. It costs money to store, but at least you know what you got. Uh, we have uh, Rob McEwen, very distinguished guest uh, on Hi-Fi Radio in our studio. Uh, he is the uh, founder, uh, president, CEO of McEwen Mining. Uh, of course, the well-known for all of the work he's done with uh, Gold Corp and his uh, philanthropic um, mindset uh, is second to none in Canada. Uh, he's a great Canadian, and it's a real pleasure to have him in studio. More with Rob McEwen right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, well, that song excites uh, Rob McEwen. It was his pick, as a matter of fact. We don't usually let guests pick our song, Rob. And uh, Well, you had to be a real minor to find the uh, nugget in that track, but certainly appropriate for this show. Uh, Rob McEwen is in studio, uh, president and CEO of uh, McEwen Mining. Um, so much to talk about, so many questions uh, to ask. Uh, to Rob, uh, again, uh, are you a gold bull, first and foremost? Or are you a businessman who just stumbled into the world of gold mining? I grew up in the investment industry, mm-hmm. then after 18 years, jumped into the mining industry. And so to, to be a great uh, CEO uh, and, and leader, uh, give, give us some traits and qualities in your experience that one must have. Patience, persistence, tenacity, imagination, moving into an industry that hasn't changed in a long time and looking for ways to innovate in there. And that's what happened in Gold Corp. You know, it's interesting you, you, you use that word imagination. Uh, here comes a question to you, Jack, because Jack is reading a book on uh, Albert Einstein. And uh, I saw a great documentary on him, or mm. a movie on him on uh, Netflix. It was fantastic. Um, but Jack, what did you tell me this morning about Albert Einstein? Just that he, he had the, the theoretical mind. He, he was very creative in his thought and the way he imagined the world. But he was actually not that great in mathematics. So it was very difficult for him to mathematically prove his theories. And a lot of the times he was racing against others in his field that were better mathematically proving his thoughts. But he, kind had, of interesting. But he had imagination is, is, is the point. Absolutely. And Rob McEwen, uh, live in studio, is saying is that to be a good leader, uh, you must have uh, imagination. And uh, that's what made Gold Corp a bit of a, a unique trade. I'll tell you which uh, gold company I think too had uh, imagination. I missed the trade. Was um, uh, was it Franco Nevada with their royalty that yes. they created? That was a, that's been a very, very successful uh 
gold share to own uh, in a very, very challenged gold environment. But uh, what, what do you think got gold waking up this year? It's, it's, it's nicely about $1,400 US an ounce. That's significant because it hasn't been at these levels in quite some time. And uh, well, it's getting closer to the old high of what? 2000 bucks an ounce, Rob. And it's, it sort of broke out at the same time that uh, people got interested in Bitcoin again. So Let's, I don't yeah. know if the correlation is there, but uh, people are certainly looking at alternative assets and stores of value right now. And, and gold is, like you said, biblical and it's historic. Well, I'll have to take you back to the beginning of 2016. In January, I thought that was the beginning of the gold bull market. Mm -hmm. Now, gold hasn't performed that much, but if you look back to January 16, gold's up about 34% since then um, and doesn't really compare well to the S&P that's up about 47, the Dow's up 55. Uh, the GDX... Uh, the senior gold stocks is, gold up, miners, yep. is up 87%. So it's outperformed gold by about two and a half times. It's 60% ahead of the S&P and it's about 36% ahead of the Dow. And that's been lost on the broad market. As people look at what's going on, um, they seem to think gold's something you forget. It's forgotten, it hasn't performed well. But indeed, it's outperforming the Dow and the S&P by a considerable margin in the last three and a half years. That's very, very fascinating. A bit of a quiet riot going on mm -hmm. uh, in, in the uh, space. Um, let me um, leapfrog over to uh, Timmins, just because it was Canada weekend last weekend, and my wife and I spent a lot of time listening to Canadian music uh, all weekend long up in Halliburton. And, of course, we came across Stomp and Tom, and uh, the women were playing bingo, and the men were getting stinko on a Sudbury Saturday night, and I was just giggling, listening to his lyrics. But um, uh, the history of, of mining in Ontario is, is, is quite steeped in, 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 in Ontarian tradition. Uh, the, the, the mining camps up in Timmins, uh, they've now been extracting ore from those bodies for over 100 years. Is over 100 years. They're absolutely. And they continue to do so today? Exactly. Uh, and, and the base metal or the metals that they are extracting from that region currently is what, copper and? Well, you have, and gold. You have some base metals. Um, the Kid Creek mine, uh, huge mine base metal mine. But there's a lot of gold coming out of there. There's more than 70 million ounces that have been discovered in the last 100 years. 70, 70 million. million. So, so what, what's unique about uh, the uh, geography up there and how, how do these formations, how are they created? Uh, they're all along what's called locally the Golden Highway. It's, the, it's a ge geological fault that runs from Ontario around Timmins all the way into Quebec, Val d'Or, Rouen. And if you take in that whole Abitibi uh, greenstone belt, it would be 200 million ounces that have been outlined there. You know, I love, I love the names um, you miners, you miner types come up with. Your, your, your Gold Corp mine, uh, the granddaddy that you had was the Porcupine Mine? No, it, ours was in Red Lake, Ontario, not Timmins. Oh, in, in Red, Gold Red Lake, that's Red Lake, Ontario, excuse me. And, and the name of that mine was? Well, we named it the Red Lake Mine. The Red Lake Mine. Um, who, who had the Porcupine Mine? Oh, porcupines over in Timmins. That the porcupines in Timmins. And that would have been dome mines. I'm always afraid my, my golden doodle is going to get into a porcupine up at the cottage, I'll tell you. Uh, we have Rob McEwen in studio, uh, mining legend. Uh, very, very uh, generous uh, uh, individual as well. Uh, well, and he also has the Order of Canada. Uh, where's your pin, Rob? I guess it's too warm out there. Uh, like, we're going to go to commercial break. Get back with Rob McEwen on Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network in Toronto. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio, our final segment with the star, Mr. Rob McEwen. Um, your star in my mind, uh, Mr. McEwen, because of the amount of philanthropy and uh, goodwill, uh, good work you have done uh, for charity. Um, I, I, I can't commend you enough uh, for your efforts. Uh, in aggregate, uh, how much has your family given and, and what, what are your main truths? Uh, what, 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 what is it at your core beliefs in terms of your, your, your philanthropy that you do? Um. We've invested in community better than $60 million. Um, I feel it's a responsibility. Uh, A large part of it has gone into medical research in the area of regenerative medicine and stem cell research. Back in 2002, uh, there were two deaths in my family, and my wife and I had spent quite a bit of time in hospital, and we saw our healthcare system under a lot of stress. And when I started thinking about the baby boom going into retirement and the cost that's going to cause the province and the country, um, given that 80% of your healthcare costs occur after you're 60 years of age, and we're seeing just under 30% of our population entering retirement over the next 15, 20 years, and our medical providers, 30% of them are in the same demographic, so you're seeing this big ramp up in expenses going to hit the country, and the ability to respond being diminished by the healthcare providers leaving. So, and right now, healthcare represents about 47, 48% of the provincial budget. It's incredible. So you just start extrapolating those trends, and it's going to squeeze out funds for other services, and... So can you scale up the healthcare system fast enough? And I don't think you can to deal with the baby boom. So it's going to lead to a rationalization of services or squeezing out other services that we have. Mm -hmm. And so regenerative medicine and stem cell uh, research held out the promise of fundamentally improving the delivery of healthcare down the road. And that's what attracted me, that... It was a promise, but it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. But you can't keep looking at the same thing. We mentioned Einstein earlier on. Um, his definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And I think our healthcare system is in that position right now. So we have to look at innovative ways of trying to address the problem. Yep. I say it really speaks to the way that you acted as a CEO. You talked about uh, as Gold Corp CEO. You have to be imaginative. You have to be creative. You have to look for opportunities. Uh, and look for different ways to, to go about things. And I think that's exactly what you did with Gold Corp. And obviously, as, a, uh, as you give to charity, um, you know, through healthcare and education. So healthcare is one. Another was uh, just uh, leadership programs, because I don't think the country have enough, has enough leaders and try to educate um, in high school. And we have a one course we set up. It runs for four years from grade 9 to grade 12, and they teach... Uh, the students have the fundamentals of accounting, marketing, project management. They'll take them on and uh, have for-profit enterprises, not-for-profit in terms of fundraising. In grade 12, they send the group down to uh, Disney, their management training center for a week. They teach them deportment, elocution, table manners, business sports, 
Uh, Table manners are very, very important, Rob. Absolutely. They're very, very important. And how you hold a fork, how you hold a knife. I, I am a stickler with my kids on it, uh, but they don't seem to get it. I'm trying so hard. Uh, my parents just drilled, you know, elbows off the table, uh, speak when you're spoken to, um, sit down, shut up, and have a good time, they'd say to us every now and then. Well, if you make, you could have a lot of money, but without table manners, you're... You're sort of pushed off to the side. I I think you are. Uh, I I want to quickly pivot uh, to to an interesting phenomenon. Again, I think gold uh, is being affected by it. Interest rates around the world are going lower once again. And this is very, very important because a 10-year treasury yield, and again, friends, you may not understand what I'm talking about here, but it's important, and you'll see it on your interest rates, mortgage rates, uh, I guess, Ajak, are going to fall or not certainly go up They, they have fallen this they year, for sure, fallen. without question. So interest rates, bonds, they are all connected. Um, but in Europe, and Germany specifically, uh, again, if you... Lend money to the government. If you buy a bunt, and I'm going to talk about a bunt cake, just a bunt. Uh, if you buy a bunt, uh, the German authorities promise to give you back just a little bit less than you gave them. It's called negative yield. Um, it, def- it speaks to falling prices, speaks to deflation. I now want to go to gold. <laughs> Because I hear it both sides. Gold is a great hedge against inflation, and it also works in a deflationary environment. Is that true, Rob? Yes. How does it work in a deflationary environment? It's a security of capital. What you're seeing, though, there's a lot of money moving into bonds right now. They believe it's a safe place to be. There's some risk in the broad market. The broad stock market. The broad stock market. And so money, money continues to move into lower-yielding instruments. Safer instruments Safer where instruments. there's a yep. guarantee, yep. a government guarantee you'll get your money back. By the government, who can yeah. tax its people, i.e. treasuries. And gold's moving in the same. It's one of these risk-adverse moves. Some yeah. people are putting their portfolios more and more into fixed assets, like bonds, and the others are moving it into gold. So it's positively correlated then to bonds, you believe? Yes. Interesting. Uh, we just had Rob McEwen in studio. Uh, Rob, I cannot thank you enough, um, uh, truly, for, for all the great work you have done to Canada uh, and for, of course, all the great work you've done to the mining industry. And that, too, is a very, very important industry to, Can- uh, to Canada and to Canaccord Genuity, as you know very, very well. Our roots uh, with our company uh, go back to uh, the BC days and the Vancouver days of, of, of mining. Uh, so uh, Gold Dust Woman and... Uh, boots on the ground. We, we understand that as well. I want to wish you all a great weekend. Welcome to July. Uh, may your finances uh, be sharp and uh, hey, may you live long. Uh, I'm Wolfgang Klein. Uh, Jack Carl, of course, uh, did a great job each and every week on Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network 640 in Toronto. You have yourself a great weekend. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.